This episode will contain explicit language, along with spoilers, for Denis Villeneuve's 2013 film, Prisoners. Welcome to a new episode of Franchises and Filmogs today. We've got episode 62. We're talking about Prisoners, which is a film in Denis Villeneuve's filmography released in 2013. It is 153 minutes in length and it is rated R with a budget of $46 million. That's an estimated budget and a gross of $122.1 million. I believe that's estimated as well. I got those numbers off of IMDb. And we're joined again by one of my friends, uh, Stephen. Stephen, how are you doing today? I am feeling good, Zach. How are feeling you doing? Good. I'm, I'm doing good as well. Um, over here in Seattle, it is a beautiful day um, to talk about an extremely bleak and also beautiful movie. Uh, but I would say the weather here today is much different than the vibe of this movie. Um, after we talked on the last episode, I watched this whole film. So it was like eight o'clock, I think. And this is like a two and a half hour film. And I watched it kind of late into the night. And then I had a lot of nightmares after it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. A couple days later. Um, when did you watch this film? I most recently, I guess. Uh, last night, no, the night before last, but this is my like, this is my like third or fourth time seeing it. I've seen it a lot, so this time I tried to focus on, I don't know, the smaller things. Yeah, yeah, it's a I mean, it's a fairly long movie, and there's a lot to take in, I guess. But it's also not, like, complicated story-wise, I don't feel like. But there's a lot of small stuff in the film that you can catch upon rewatching it. I think this was only the second time I've seen it. So I definitely caught some more than the first time, but also the first time was many years ago. So um, I enjoyed the rewatch, and I have a couple of facts to go through, I guess, to start off this episode. Um, this was filmed in Connors, Georgia, maybe Conyers. I don't know how to pronounce that city. So if you're from there, I apologize if I butchered that. Um, Anton Fukua, which is another name I might be completely butchering. Steven, do you know how to pronounce that director's name? No. Uh, what are you even talking about? Anton Fukua? Oh uh, yeah, that guy. What about him? Yeah, he was originally set to direct this film. This film has been um, in the works for many years before it came out, or it was in the works for many years. Um, And then Villeneuve took over. Uh, And apparently Mark Wahlberg had a big part in producing this film. And the screenwriter for this film gave a lot of props to Mark Wahlberg, who originally was supposed to be in the film with Christian Bale. And then Brian Singer at one point was supposed to direct it. No, all this sounds no. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a lot. There was a lot of transitions. Um, I guess this script was around Hollywood for quite a while. Um, And the script or the screenwriter wrote the script 
which was inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, which I haven't read and is not too like similar to the script, uh, but it is somewhat inspired by that, I guess. Um, what else have we got? We've got Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie, who was cast without an audition because Villeneuve liked him so much in Enemy, which is going to be the next movie we're going to watch because it was released later than this film, but I guess it was uh, made earlier than this film. So they were released around the same time, but Enemy was later, so that will be the next episode. Apparently Ryan Gosling did audition for this role, and we'll see him later down the line in a Villeneuve movie. Um, I could actually see that. If you yeah. see, like, Only God Forgives, I think I have Gosling, not. it's not that great, but it has some, uh, I don't know, worthwhile parts. It has some respectable parts, but it's, overall it's not that great. But, I mean, like, Gosling kind of channels uh, is that the vibe same, of this movie in that movie. Is that the same director as Drive? Or yeah, no? that Nicholas Winding Refn. Yes. He uh, has a... Uh, interesting filmography that is extraordinarily hit or miss yeah i need to watch drive again because i haven't seen that in a really long time and then i also need to watch it's called only god forgives is that what yeah there's yeah i mean it's like it's it's i feel like it's worth a watch because it feels like it's deeper overall than like its actual quality is (laughs) yeah that makes any sense yeah yeah, I'll definitely look into both of those movies. Maybe I'll watch uh, that guy's filmography. I don't remember his name, um, but or how to pronounce it. So uh, I'll probably look into that. Um, another fact about this film, it's got Roger Deakins as the cinematographer. The who, start of a great relationship. It, yeah, he's amazing in general. Um, almost every film. And I do say almost every film he touches is amazing because there are a couple of misses, I think. Um, some of which I haven't seen. I believe he did the cinematography for uh, The Goldfinch, which I have not heard good things about. He's a busy man. Yeah, he is a busy man. Um, And I also wanted to bring up uh, Johan Johansson, or Johan Johansson. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but he is a composer that frequently works with Villeneuve as well. And I think this is the first film he composed for Villeneuve. Oh, I didn't um, realize he did this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did Sicario as well. And maybe he did Arrival. after that. Oh, Arrival. Well, yep. Did he do Blade Runner? Maybe he did Blade Runner too. I'm not sure on that one. Well, awesome. we'll figure that out when Blade Runner comes around. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's all the facts I've got. Um, did you have anything factual about the movie you want to share before we get into it yeah i believe what i heard is in terms of like loki's mannerisms uh denis let jake gyllenhaal decide all that and kind of develop his backstory as a character which apparently gyllenhaal has said he won't share but he created a backstory for him and so like the the twitches the character has the tattoos on the hand the rings is is all uh jake gyllenhaal apparently yes yeah i did note that as well and it it's a really interesting character because i feel like it's very similar to zodiac um 
I which I actually don't know which of these films came out first because I feel like they're somewhat similar. And this is definitely a film I could see Fincher making or Villeneuve making. Uh, so Z- Zodiac came out uh, six years prior to this. So that's a lot earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched Zodiac for the first time a couple months ago too. So it's a great that's one. A, it's a good one, and I feel like it's got pretty similar vibe to this film. Um, some differences in characters. Uh, yeah, so this is a pretty bleak film. So I guess we can start off talking about the mood of the film. I noted that this film kind of reminds me of the Avengers of fucked up serial killer hunting. Um, that's my subtitle for this film. Uh, it takes place around the holidays. It is a very rainy film. A lot of the time it is raining. Um, I don't know if that's common weather in Conyers, Georgia, uh, but it has to do with the kidnapping of children at the same time and a lot of bleak stuff. What were your thoughts on the, the vibe of the film? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely bleak. A lot of rain. Is is it, does the film take place in Georgia? Does it take place in Pennsylvania? Oh, I actually don't know where it takes place. I know it was filmed in Georgia, but I I don't know where it takes place. Yeah. You but. might be right. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure about that. Um, I, mean, I just know it was filmed in Georgia, is what I read. It's, you know, it's intense, it's sorrowful. There's a lot of mystery, not in just the kidnapping, but just the places he goes, like, specifically Loki goes, and the things he encounters along the way. Yeah, so there's a... Um, eerie. There's a point somewhat toward the beginning of this film. And I talk about organization a lot with Villeneuve's films because I felt like some of his earlier films were a little disjointed at times with flashbacks and stuff like that. And there was one point in this film where we transitioned to uh, Loki, Detective Loki. He's hunting down, um, I I guess it's like a, a pedophile ring. He's trying to find out who uh, killed a certain amount of children, I believe. Um, and it kind of veers from the main story for a bit. And at first I was like, I don't really get what this has to do with anything, but it's also building his character. So I wasn't too sure how I felt about that at first. Uh, it felt a little disjointed, but I think by the end of the film, it brings it more together. Um, did you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I feel the film, honestly, from... I mean, I've seen it three to four times is pretty organized in it's not exactly linear because it, it seems to actually resemble maybe an investigation where, you know, it's not a straight line. It's more of a very squiggly line as yeah. he uncovers another thing or a maze, you could say. Um, and he goes, I think because at the beginning, you know, he starts off with the standard stuff, which is. There was like six, you know, local people or like people on the sex offenders list in the area. He goes and interviews them and then reaching, you know, the I think the last one on the list is that priest sends Father him dead. on, yeah, sends him on a different rabbit hole because he discovers a body in the priest's home. Mm-hmm that you know at the the start we think is unrelated and we find out later is related 
Yeah. And then, you know, it's like Keller, Hugh Jackman's character, distracts him and kind of forces him to veer off the path of it just by the actions he's taking. And, you know, he gets sent on a different path after the vigil because then this is a weird guy that runs away from him. And it's nothing's clear from him for him at all, really, in the investigation. It's quite the mess. Yeah. Well, Keller, Hugh Jackman's character, is also like hiding a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, by the fact that they basically imprison who they believe stole their daughters um, or kidnapped their daughters. So it's definitely very... I think that when this film is focusing on Loki's actions is where it really hits its stride. And I think there's some parts of Hugh Jackman's character that I didn't quite relate to emotionally as much as I probably should have. Um, But once... Loki is is hunting down these people and trying to uncover things. The story really starts to take off. Um, and it's a pretty quick film to get into the action or I guess the, the thriller. It's really a race against the clock for most of the film. And I think that all of the, the casting in this film is also pretty much perfect with Paul Dano uh, playing a character with very little dialogue and Hugh Jackman playing a very emotional father who becomes kind of a drunk, I guess. Uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal, as we've already discussed quite a bit with his um, tics and tattoos. And uh, he seems like this, this real perfectionist when it comes to solving these mysteries um yeah i found the characters really compelling in this if we want to like maybe talk about them a bit because and like first of all the acting is fantastic hugh jackman i think this is probably my favorite role i've seen him in yeah i would i would agree um without touching on Wolverine just because I feel like he is the most typecast for that but <laughs> yeah, yeah like uh, he is Wolverine it's his performance character, wise yeah. <laughs> performance wise I would say this is probably the best film I've seen him in yeah Jake Gyllenhaal uh, is you know been crushing it for quite a while now I love yeah. what he's been doing and then Paul Dono I freaking love and he's i think he's he gets more credit now but at the time i feel like he's an incredibly underrated actor i mean like in back even till there will be blood he had a dual role when he was like 23 and was toe-to-toe with daniel day lewis and just as good yeah i like almost every film he's in whether it's um there will be blood or Little Miss Sunshine is definitely a highlight of his career for me. And even the one. newer... Um, oh, Little Miss Sunshine is top-tier Paul Dano, but it's it's a comedy, so it's not quite as gritty as this performance. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. In this film, he doesn't have much dialogue at all. Uh, he puts so much into the little dialogue he has and just what he puts into everything that isn't the dialogue. 
is yeah. fantastic too. Just down to like the shrieks and the sounds he makes, just his faces, his movements. Yeah, he really builds the character. And I was wondering, there's like, so I did not remember a good amount of the imagery in this film. And this is partially why I probably had so many nightmares after watching it. Um, but there's one scene that focuses on his like bloody face after he's imprisoned by Keller um, and Terrence Howard's character, who I don't remember the name of right now. Um, but you get this image of his face that is the most off-putting thing I've seen in a film in a very long time. And I do think this film hit hit me harder uh, imagery-wise than Ansandi did after rewatching it. And I didn't remember that and didn't think that was going to be a thing. So I think that they probably used quite a bit of makeup. And I don't know if it was recognized. You don't as think well they just beat the shit out of Paul Dono? Well, okay, maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's camera. doing his own stunts here. This is really where Paul Dano takes off is he just takes a beating and lives in a tiny wooden box for a couple days to, to film this. Um, But uh, yeah, full method. Um, I don't know if the makeup department got recognized as much as it should have though, because this is probably the best makeup of the year, at least from a terrifying aspect um, really, and like, I don't... that part really did hit hard though just because it was like the reveal and i think viola davis was like, nancy was showing up with terrence howard there and it's such a good reveal to like what has been done you know and i think at this point in the movie we still don't know if he's innocent or not but we understand like his condition in terms of adult development and you know even though he there's still the chance he's responsible for kidnapping the children like you feel so much compassion for him in that scene a lot of credit to paul in that you know for bringing that home yeah and alongside him you have these characters like hugh jackman's character keller is growing more and more ruthless but at the same time terrence howard's character uh is somewhat more compassionate And then when Viola Davis first comes in, she's extremely compassionate and basically even tries to free Paul Dano. Yeah. Um, But that changes quickly. So I feel like those characters really relate to the audience where we're like, this guy's got to have some involvement in what happened, but we don't know what yet exactly. And we don't know his his mental state. Um, So I think that... I really like the scene where he kind of gets freed by Viola Davis there. Just because at first I didn't notice, and I I noticed at the rewatch that it was Hugh Jackman's voice coming in that set him off with the, the glass at first. You know, like he was calm with Viola, but the second he heard Hugh Jackman and knew that he was there, he just like blew it. Oh, I didn't really notice that. So yeah. that's a good point. I might need to rewatch that scene because that's a very pivotal scene uh, in the film because that's kind of where all my mistrust of Paul Dano's character comes from. Because at first we're not really sure, but then he starts attacking the person that is supposedly trying to free him. Um, 
Yeah, he kind of gets the blame for it because, you know, Hugh Jackman comes in and is like, you what, you set him free, all livid? And, you know, from my perspective, it was like Paul Dano just heard the voice of the guy who's been beating him for 24 to 48 hours. He's like, I'd grab a piece of glass too. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Because, I mean, in that condition, he does not know that he will be freed or or not. So, I mean, it would make sense that he is very willing to attack whoever is nearby and who he knows has been torturing him basically. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a very good scene that shows probably the best acting through the whole film. Um, aside from Jake Gyllenhaal, cause he's not in that scene. Uh, but the fighting between Viola Davis, Paul Dano and Hugh Jackman. And I think Terrence Howard is in that as well. Um, when they settle him. So, yeah, I think that that scene sums up the amazing roles that these actors were cast in. And it could have been Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale, which would have been a very different movie, I feel like. Um, but... Yeah, I don't... Mark Wahlberg's good in some things. I just... I don't know what he'd be playing. I assume Bale would be Loki and Wahlberg would be Keller. I just don't see him yeah. having the same kind of uh, emotional drive as Yeah, I think Wahlberg is a great, like, rom-com father. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> a... Uh, I mean, he's great in dramatic roles, but he has kind of a weird, like, father role that's more, like, loving as opposed to, like, vengeful from my perspective. I'd be okay if his role in the movie was the cop but instead of being loki he's just the cop from the departed that he played yeah i was gonna say like the (laughs) departed is probably his closest role to this film that i can think of um but yeah i i think that this was the perfect cast and i can't think of a better replacement i mean ryan gosling probably would have been just as good as jake but um yeah. Should we what, uh maybe get the summary of the movie out of here or like get the the ending off our chest so Yeah. We we'll just start, start talking about everything. Yeah, yeah. Um I'll probably do a spoiler alert before this episode as well. So if you heard that, we already did quite a few spoilers, I think. Um <laughs> yeah. but do you wanna do a, a little plot summary or do you want me to do it? I mean I can do it. I can wing it. All right, wing it. And if there's anything crucial that you leave out, I can add it at the end. Yeah, so the movie starts off with the two families. We got the Dovers, Hugh Jackman, Maria Bello. And there are two children, the son, then I don't remember his name, sadly, and the daughter, Anna. And then they're going over to their friends, which is the Birches. Terrence Howard, Viola Davis, and their daughter, Joy. And as the party progresses and the adults start start drinking and relaxing, they start watching the kids less and the little girls instead of getting escorted to find Joy's or Anna's missing red whistle. We're supposed to be escorted by their older siblings. They went alone. 
And when the, you know, the evening was coming to a close, they realized they didn't know where they were. They frantically checked everywhere and it turns out they're gone. Now the first lead is, of course, the RV, which is driven by Paul Dono. And the RV was seen earlier when the kids were trying to play on it. And so the movie kind of opens with Paul Dano getting interrogated by Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, Hugh Jackman is distressed. He believes Paul's character, Alex, is responsible. He begins to harass Alex, and when Alex gets released fully, he kidnaps Alex and tortures him to try to get him to reveal the locations of Anna and Joy. While this is going on, Jake Gyllenhaal is investigating in a more legal fashion, going around, as we mentioned before, uh, interrogating some of the local, you know, sex offender list, as well as pursuing some of the lead from the priest. And the priest is the first one where he finds the priest, you know, unconscious from drinking and finds a secret basement that the the father clearly has wanted to keep others out of blocking with the fridge and taking the stairs out. And then there is a bound dead body that looks to be long decayed with a necklace of a maze. And that kind of starts the, the underlying mystery to the primary mystery. And, you know, things progress. They find... Man, this is a there's a lot that happens in this movie. Yeah. They, you know, after some of the torturing of Alex, which takes up a lot of the scene, the families start breaking down. You know, I think this like Terrence Howard's character Franklin is involved in this and it, it hits him a lot harder because he's not the same as mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman's character in terms of how they're handling it. And at the vigil, they Loki spots Bob Taylor acting kind of strange around the vigil with what he was bringing to it. And Bob Taylor noticing Loki's intense gaze backs away. And when Gyllenhaal tries to hail him, he runs. And there's the chase scene. That's a really good chase scene through the backyards of the suburbs. And Taylor eventually gets away. But based on the description and, the actor for Taylor and the look they had is like a really distinct look. And, you know, with the sketch, they get a lead on, you know, who he is, where he lives. Jake eventually, or Loki eventually arrests him, uncovering a fucked up house with mazes drawn all over the walls, kind of that recurring maze thing. And then snakes with bloody Snake clothes and yeah and in, in bo- locked in boxes this is kind of a pivotal scene where the parents begin to think their kids are dead because they found clothes with blood on them that taylor had shown earlier snuck into and stolen from the homes yeah and they think they're dead it sets off hugh jackman a little more as he doesn't want to tell the wife and eventually they you know they figure out the blood is just pig's blood that it's not really certain that they're dead you know Dylan Hall starts to get more invested into the maze story eventually we get to the point 
where Joy shows up. She has escaped from everywhere she, forever, wherever she had been held. And in previous scenes, Keller kind of out of options went to Alex's aunt's house, Holly, to talk to her and try to... He, he tries to like slyly get some information out of her, but doesn't yeah. really get much. And when Joy turns up and they start asking Joy questions, you know, she not fully lucid tells Keller, you were there. And it was that moment that kind of clicks for him. And he realizes that they were at Holly Jones's home and he escapes Jill and Hall who did not want the Dover family in there with Joy. And he sees Keller, you know, backing away and running away. They chase Keller confronts Holly and Holly pulls a gun out on him, makes him drink um, some handcrafted drugs, like LSD kind of cocktail that was developed by her late husband and the late husband being the bound dead body found in the basement of the father's home. And earlier, you know, the priest said he lured this guy back to his home and kind of just left him there to die because the guy was, you know, saying how he killed a bunch of, he confessed that he killed a bunch of kids and he was going to, there was like 16 of them and he was going to keep killing them. And, you know, the priest did what he thought he had to do. And the Joneses always thought he just kind of disappeared. They, they didn't know his fate, but so it kind of reveals that it's, there's the family of killers, you know, their reasoning is their son died of cancer and they completely lost their faith and wanted to employ like this crabs in the bucket strategy of stealing and taking other kids and killing them to wage a war against God. And they, you know, Hugh Jackman Keller gets put into an underground hole below a car on the Joneses property, shot in the leg and left there while Dylan Hall return after finding Alex goes back to Holly to, you know, was going to let her know that Alex was just found and discovers her home, but not responding walks inside and and sees a picture of the maze necklace on the dead body that he found in the father's home and connects the dots. Finally that Holly's killer you know, draws his gun, shoots Holly, takes a bullet wound to the side of the head, obscuring his vision as he's on a race against the clock to deliver Anna to the hospital. And she gets saved. We kind of get a little bit of resolution on that end, and then he's kind of immediately the next day back out in the field. As they're excavating the Joneses' property, they're heading in for the night because the ground is freezing over. And Loki hears the faint sounds of a whistle, the red whistle that Keller Dover found in the hole that Holly put him in. And we get a few of these whistles as Loki first kind of shakes it off as, you know, his imagination hears it again with an intense look on his face, and then the movie cuts to black. Cut to black. That was well done. That was... That was exhausting. That was like, 
That was a two and a half hour film in about five minutes. So you did well. I was like, you know, like 30 seconds into it. I was like, oh my God, there's so much left of this movie <laughs> like in my <laughs> head as I was mapping it out. You got a good amount of detail in there. So, um, yeah, I think uh, the question I have is how did the whistle end up in the hole? Because I don't know. I was just thinking about no, that. Um, she So Holly says as she's kind of escorting Keller into the back there, has the move the car, opens the hole, and he kind of looks into the hole like, what the fuck is this? And Holly says, you know, I had to put the girls here when the cops started snooping around. Oh, right. Okay. And earlier, we find out through Joy that, uh, oh, no, I don't think that part happened yet. But we just know they stayed in there. They find, we see the whistle and we know they, um, that she found the whistle, I guess. Gotcha. Um, another question I had is, so Bob Taylor, yeah, is he related to the family? Because I thought there was no. like an insinuation that he was. He's not? So when, in the early stages of the investigation, uh-huh. Loki goes to the house that was for sale where the RV was first parked when the kids and their older siblings started playing on it. That was kind mm-hmm. of the first lead was the RV was sitting on this property. Dylan Hall finds the property is for sale, finds the person who is putting it up for sale. Mm-hmm. And it was right. Okay. This is kind of actually a different tangent, but that was like the grandmother or something of Alex at that point. And then I okay. think we kind of, I think they they later figure out is like they were kind of one of the early ones because Alex was like the first one. And then later they say, Holly says, like, I I forgot about Bob, you know, like he and after Bob commits suicide in the interrogation room, one Mm -hmm. of the cops, it might have been Loki, said you know he was taken when he was young but he escaped after like a week or something oh man i missed that there's so much to catch in yeah, this there's film. a lot of detail in there this was movie. quite a few details that you even said that i was like i didn't know that until you said that um such as i did not know that holly's husband was the burnt up body yes so that is a huge part of the film that i just it flew over my head it's a beginning red herring where you feel like okay just found this dead body in this free home there's a maze on it and it's like you think it's unrelated yeah but i get is this like considered like like a chekhov's gun where it's like nothing's unimportant right so yeah it was that was the connecting moment for gyllenhaal's the maze necklace that's on that burnt body is the maze necklace that is on the family portrait he sees in the photo. Yeah. Gotcha. And there's all the references to him disappearing a bunch of years ago. So I take back everything I said about misorganization in this film. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm just not quick enough for Villeneuve's organization uh, or or smart enough, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) It's a lot of uh, stuff going on. Um, Yeah. I think that you covered literally everything <laughs> I can think of in the plot and remember. So that was, that was great. Um, what do you want to talk about? 
you know, I think taking a deep dive into the characters because like is a good thing at this point. There's like a lot uh, under the surface. I think Keller yeah. is exceptionally like deep as a character because the beginning you you really get a sense of what this guy is. You know, they go hunting. He says the prayer. They're, you know, with his, in his beginning with his son. By the way, I love that opening of just like the woods and them hunting with the. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about that. The first shot over. is just like uh, them shooting a deer right in front of our faces. Um, and then it's pretty bloody and allowed. Like, we don't really know what's going on. We just see a deer walking into the woods and then all of a sudden it gets shot and they take it to the Thanksgiving dinner. Um, yeah. And they're driving back after that, and there's, like, the cross, you know, on the rearview mirror of his car. So it's, like, very early on, you're like, okay, this is a man of faith. Yeah. We learn a little bit later through the talk with his son that he's also a carpenter. So there's kind of connection to Jesus. And then (laughs) you have... Yeah, and, and you know, he, he often talks about, you know, like the prepare for the best, pray for the worst. We see he's got that kind of um prepper basement. Yeah. So it's it's very, you know, he works with his hands, he's a man of God, he's very into survival. You really get like the picture of this guy, mm-hmm. but I love the way the movie progresses there. Where like faith, I think, is a major like symbolism or just like motif of the movie is faith yeah well jake detective loki also seems to be of a certain type of faith i think he has a cross tattoo right yeah he might be like a mixture right just because like he had you know he has the name of a norse god there is like that cross tattooed on it at the beginning he's like seems interested in the chinese zodiac signs it's like it, it feels like he's a very like mysterious like menagerie of religions yeah there's there's a lot of spiritual stuff going on in the background and i'm sure there's more like allegories that i just don't know i think there is uh, a story that involves the god loki about saving a child but i don't know it off the top of my head and i didn't do all the research for it um so that might be something for further reading if you're interested in that uh, but they are very complex characters when it comes to religion and faith. And uh, I kind of want to talk about Keller's progression because yeah. he, there's one scene that I'm thinking about in particular where he is going to this building where they have trapped um, Alex, Paul Dano's character. Uh, they've trapped him and are torturing him. And he finds out that Detective Loki is following him to this building so he has to make a beeline to the next closest location which ends up being a liquor store um and he buys a bottle of liquor and comes out pretending that that's all he was doing the whole time and at that point i thought that it was fully just like a ruse that he was misleading detective loki but after that he is drinking alcohol like all the time yeah so i wasn't sure if that was a point where he decided to switch his character or if he had always been that way since the kidnappings um i, I don't think know, it might have just been that? the progression 
the progression. Of, yeah, because, you know, it's like he mentions that he's been sober for a while, so clearly alcohol has been in trouble in his past. And the movie, like, prog- as it progresses, like, he starts to lose his faith more and more. The beginning with him just, you know, uh, harassing or attacking Alex to, you know, devolving into the full-on kidnapping and torturing of Alex. And I think after that, you know, he starts picking up old habits as he just falls further. Yeah. Down to his own personal hell. Yeah, definitely. So I think, like, the more I look into Keller's character, the, like, deeper... I think about it like I didn't make the the like carpenter connection at all so um that's good maybe I need to read the bible a little but kind of uh (laughs) physical representation of that is you know at the beginning I mentioned that there's a cross like hanging down in full view at the beginning when he's driving his son home yeah when he's driving Terrence Howard to where he's holding Alex Jones Uh uh-huh the cross on his car now is completely sideways. It's not flush. You can't see it. And it's like swaying. It's like, I feel like that's like a very like visual symbol of his faith getting pushed aside. Where, where is it on the car? Cause I don't even remember. Uh, seeing it. When uh, mirror, like in the center of the car front seat, like hanging down off like a chain. Oh, okay. That's crazy detail. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think another detail that they don't really say, like you have to see it. And I think it's Loki when he's looking up stuff on the computer and news stories of the people. It mm-hmm. mentioned like there's an article about his father who was a security guard. And the article says that his father committed suicide when he was a teenager. And he was found by both Keller and his mother. And there's like no note or anything. So Keller discovers, you know, you know, walks into find like his father, you know, with a gun, like a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. And I think a big part, because he mentions a lot what his father said in terms of being prepared. I feel like a big part of Keller's like questionable morality and lack of faith is probably influenced by the fact that he really hasn't gotten over his father's suicide like family is you know like maybe he views that his father kind of abandoned them and Mm -hmm. so he feels so strongly that he has to protect and not abandon his family so like when his you know he believes he's always prepared for you know everything you know and when something you know as simple as his daughter getting taken it like really just like questions everything you know and that's why he starts lashing out at other people specifically detective loki and why he feels he needs to take it into his hands because it was like his responsibility to keep her safe he you know he feels like he abandoned her maybe like he feels his father abandoned him yeah yeah i think i want to compare hugh jackman's character with terrence howard's character as well yeah um with franklin who is the other father of one of the girls that gets kidnapped. Um, Because I think they have somewhat different journeys. And to me, it it feels like Franklin is more just following what Keller does and listening for instruction. He doesn't seem to really do his own thing. And he seems more sympathetic to Alex. Whereas 
Um, Keller's just like, I know you did it. I'm going to torture you until you tell me where they are. Uh, it, it seems like Franklin is just kind of there for helping Keller achieve whatever mission he's trying to do. And Franklin doesn't necessarily think this is the right way to go about it, but he doesn't have another option. So um, did you notice any, like, are there any specific symbols? I feel like Franklin isn't in the movie quite as much. uh, So it's a little harder to read his character. Um, But what do you think about his journey? I guess. I think this is an interesting kind of theme of the movie is just like trauma in general and the different ways like people process it and cope with it. Yeah. Where Keller, I just explained, you know, like he starts questioning like his own basic like existence and function as a father and head of household and dives into, you know, immorality and a loss of faith where Franklin is much more composed. You know, he's still like, obviously, like this is crushing him. But he's prepared to, you know, let Loki do his job, stay within the confines of the law and just kind of process. And and I think Terrence Howard's character is more, he realizes more that he still has a daughter at home that he has to take care of. Yeah. And the same thing with his wife. His wife is very composed too. And and they kind of realize there's a scene where their daughter kind of blows up at them. And I think they realize at that point, you know they were starting to slip a bit and they go back to where they were and they, they have, you know, family at home to take care of where Keller abandons his current family. You know, he's like abandoning his son to try to find the daughter. He's his wife has a different, you know, coping mechanism and is just in absolute shock and is in a horrible. She goes into like a place. deep depression. It seems. Yeah. She goes and into then we deep just depression. don't see her she's, much until later in the film. Yeah. She's in shock and, and Keller just kind of, you know, she needs somebody there and he just kind of leaves her, gives her like, um, like tranquilizer drugs and just kind yeah. of lets her sleep all day. And just like, you really get like three different kind of ways that a parent could you know, be process all this, you know, trauma and the dealing with the children being kidnapped. Yeah. I think a, a real pivotal scene to see all of that, like play out really quickly as well is the uh, scene where they find the clothing that Bob Taylor had with the blood all over it. And they're showing it to the different couple or couples. Um, and in, in that scene, I think that, um, Terrence Howard and Viola Davis's characters, they take it as it is and they just like kind of listen and they're heartbroken because they think their children or their child is dead. Um, And they don't really have much else to say after that. They just leave. And then when Keller comes in, he is kind of like, okay. And then he goes back to um, continuing to still think that the kids are alive, even though like he's very resistant to, what he's seeing, even though it seems to lead to the fact that his child was killed by this, um, I guess, copycat um, killer who doesn't actually kill people, but just collects clothing and covers it in pig's blood. Um, and then the uh, Keller's wife, I don't remember her name, uh, Grace. but she just say Grace. Yeah, that's kind of another Bible thing, I guess. That's why I say Grace. Oh, yeah, Grace doesn't even show up. Cause she's in this such a deep depression that she won't even go look at the pictures. Um, so 
I think that's a very telling scene that gives you all of those characters in a short amount of time where there's much more to build, but that's like the most simple uh, way to see the characters. Yeah, and Keller even after, you know, he identifies the sock, he he does what he's been doing from the beginning, which is, you know, uh, feeling inadequate, you know, with the pressure and failure that he had to protect his family, like lashes out at Loki and just like, if you hadn't been following me, this wouldn't been ha- have happened. This is on you, you know, but then yeah. there is like the admirable quality to Keller that when he goes home, it's like, you know, obviously he should tell his wife the that he found the identified the sock but he he does immediately go back to like i i still can still figure this out kind of thing you know there's a chance that i can yeah, still fire like he he definitely doesn't quit which is you know similar no, to no, no. loki in a way yeah so i mean luckily within a couple hours it seems they figure out that this is not the children aren't necessarily dead so um it's a pretty big shift but yeah, there's uh, that short period of time. I just feel like you get a lot of what the characters are thinking and Keller is resistant uh, to really listening because he's on his own mission to get his job done, um, which is to find his child, even if she's not necessarily alive, I guess. Um, What's your thoughts on Loki? Cause you know, we, we kind of covered the parents in full and, I think Loki's yeah. probably the most mysterious character in the whole movie. Well, that's the thing. It's kind of hard for me to talk too much about Loki, I think, because I don't... He seems like he's very determined to find out what happens, but at the same time, it, it's hard for me to get under the surface of what he's doing um, because he, to me, he has less weight in the story since he doesn't have to care for the children as much as the parents do. Um, but you but could yeah, argue what, what he you... care. You know, I mean, he obviously doesn't care as much as Keller, you know? He does care, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't care as much as Keller, you know, risking, you know, his future, you know, freedom. Well, he's devoted his life, it seems, to, like, breaking this um, this ring of kidnappers. Uh, and he, he was trying to find that from the start. So... That's that's one uh, thing with this film as well, is I feel like there is some backstory missing a little bit as to what was going on before these kidnappings, because we think this is just a kidnapping of two children, but it had been going on for forever, but we don't get much of that history. So Yeah, well, I, I don't think, you know, he is aware of really any, like, long-standing plot of kidnapping until... Okay later in the movie it was only when i think like he runs into bob taylor when the priest you know tells him that this guy said you know like how many ever years ago that he kidnapped 16 children and you know and and that he was captured you know more than one at a time and you know there's like little seeds of that kind of information earlier when he was talking with alex jones's grandmother and Mm -hmm. And she, you know, he, he said like, do you think this is related or something? And she kind of hinted that she maybe did, that it was just almost too much of a coincidence that the RV was spotted at the old residence where Alex was kidnapped. Yeah. I think my, my big thing with Loki is he doesn't 
seem to change too much in the film. Like he gets more and more into this mystery, but his actual actions don't seem to change to me. I don't know if you feel the same way. I think it's one of those characters where we understand their morality at the start and kind of their character and they stay constant, which I do think, and I'll probably mention later is really important to him is like, he stays constant throughout the film and it lets all the other characters around him morph and change. And it's like a important element of like storytelling and character building to have that kind of like constant. Well, yeah, everyone else changes. And you know, Loki is, we do get some insight into his past, right? When he is asking the father initially about the body in the basement, he says, you know, like, Hey, I grew up in this boy's home. So, you know, hurting a fuck like you would be a real treat or something. So it's like, yeah. we, we get some insight that he was abused as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I guess that that gives him some more weight in finding the girls and trying to figure out this this mystery of of missing. It's like maybe kids. that's his like way of getting over things is uh like Working. maybe like devoting himself to helping other kids and stuff like that. That's almost like his own coping mechanism for his past because it doesn't yeah. seem like he has a lot outside of work. And to me, like there could be a lot, you know he. Obviously, Jake never revealed the backstory for it. But his twitching mm-hmm. primarily comprises of him, like, blinking a bunch while he while speaks. Blinking, yeah. And to me, I interpreted that as, like, a lack of sleep. Because it really yeah. seems like he's so, like, diligent and tenacious while working. And that's what I like about him. Is To me, he's, like, he's not, like, a cocky genius detective, like, that kind of trope in mm-hmm. movies. He's not a Sherlock or whatever, you know, TV show is on network that's just about some genius detective and yeah to me it's like he's not like he like he's smart obviously but he's yeah. more like he gets things done because it doesn't seem like he has a personal life he just works and works and works and like he probably sleeps very little mm-hmm. we don't yeah. see him go home in the movie <laughs> oh yeah that's true i think there is there is one breakdown scene as well um where Bob Taylor is being interrogated and steals his gun. And it's a clear breakdown of Loki's character. Yeah. um, That he is very far into this mystery at this time and kind of lets his guard down because he's so intensely trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Um, He started to lose his composure there. Yeah. I think because like it, it was just like, it's getting farther and farther the timeline into the investigation. And it was like, he was on the verge of another dead end with Bob being, you know, incomprehensible. Yeah. And that's the only real scene I can think of where he breaks down. And like, right after that, he breaks down, but then he solves everything right after that. So, uh, aside from that, he is a pretty constant character. And I guess that, that breakdown is a little gratifying to watch because you, it, it does show you how far into it he is then. Um, and how much he does care and then i mean the uh, toward the end when he does save anna uh that also shows how much he cares because he gets shot right he gets shot yeah he he gets like grazed on the side of the head yeah he gets shot and then like 
his only mission is to save the child at that that point and take her to the hospital before whatever the poison concoction is. Uh, yeah, um, gets to her. So, I think this is kind of a good segue into you know we mentioned faith is kind of a big motif throughout the movie. Yeah, I think another symbol that you know is repeated a bunch and is you know furthermore a motif for the movie is the idea of mazes. And I think this segues well from talking about Loki, because I feel like Loki's, other than, you know, trying to figure out the mystery that is like a maze, his role in kind of that symbol of the maze is to me, he's almost, he's like, he acts as the guide out of the maze for all these characters. Interesting. He, you know, like he's the one that saves Anna and delivers her out of the maze he's constantly trying to kind of navigate it in the best way he can. Whereas Keller doesn't really try to, you know, figure out a mystery. He just is like a blunt force tool and does one thing and sticks to it. Yeah. And so, and then kind of the last thing is like almost, you know, we can talk about the end more later, but to me, he's also kind of the, his, the guide out of the maze for Keller as well. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely see that. I wasn't thinking of that uh, about the mazes quite as literally, but I think you definitely could examine it that way more. I thought about uh, the mazes a lot more on my, you know, third or fourth rewatch, you really start seeing these mazes. Um, I'm going to be honest, when I like was going back into this film, I didn't remember mazes at all. So, I was like, "Oh, I don't remember this." And it's it's something that's used in like so many like killer uh thrillers um i think this this brings to mind to me it it brought true detective i don't know if you've seen yeah the first season i I haven't seen the Mm -hmm. second season but uh the first season of true detective feels very similar to this because it's got faith it's got mazes i agree it also Uh, has a lot of like really eerie like symbolism and yeah yeah you're like very focused on these symbols um, that you don't catch right away un- unless you think about it more. So Yeah, and the maze too, I guess I, uh, Keller's version of the maze, I feel like is like his own personal journey just probably is just like becomes disorderly as he falls yeah. into the behaviors he has. And I think too, like mazes also apparently like a have a pretty like high prominence in religions and mythology and I think in terms of like the the other part where the maze comes into play is, you know, obviously the, the, you know, the Joneses, you know, like the dad who got, you know, killed and was missing had the maze necklace. And what they did is they had those kids on the cocktail and we see a bit of this when Anna's in the room mm-hmm. and enjoy there that she gives them a maze and it says like solve it and you can go home right but they give them a maze that's unsolvable i think oh because that one guy was like it's unsolvable yeah it was the last maze in that book and it was the unsolvable maze and that's the maze that bob taylor keeps drawing right and you could you could say like the maze was used by the joneses to kind of like mentally block and trap these children from themselves because like, you know, like Alex has been with them so long, he's not himself anymore. You know, like he's trapped by the maze. You could say like, even though Bob escaped physically, 
it's clear he never escaped that trauma mentally. And as yeah. an adult, he's just drawing the maze constantly. He obviously did like research on it and is maybe not even copycatting the killings, but maybe trying to imitate the killings to get closer to like getting out of the maze or something. And yeah. I think that is like a, it's a good, I feel like it's a cool view at the idea that these Joneses are really trying to trap these children, not just physically, but also mentally like a, a clear tear down of them. Yeah. And like, while that is going on, you know, like Loki is like, it feels like he has a more clear mind. He's more knowledgeable of a lot of things. He's more well-versed and he just, he has like the capabilities to be a guide out of that. Yeah. That's a really interesting take. Um, I wonder if there's like mythology with Loki animes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like there's so much further research that, well, it could also get to the point where I research more than, there really was supposed to be in the movie. And I'm like, Oh, Loki means this, you know? Um, yeah. It's like, even if, you know, like the director or the writer doesn't intend it, it's still kind of fun it that might work. Yeah. yeah, this much detail in it. Yeah, definitely. Um, what else? I don't think I have much to add on the mazes, except I need to watch this film like two or three more times. To I really look would at recommend it. Again. When yeah. I first saw the movie, I did like, like it a lot. And then, I feel like on the subsequent rewatch, it really like transcended for me. Just like how much is yeah. in it? Yeah. I think the first time I saw this film, I didn't, I didn't love it, but I was much younger and I don't think I picked up hardly anything of the <laughs> like symbolism in it. Uh, so it's definitely a film that I'm happy we're breaking down a bit. Uh, Cause I learned quite a bit in this episode so far so it's not your mother's mystery film it's not it's not i should not watch this film late at night when i'm super tired and afraid um but at the same time maybe i should have so so <laughs> i got another theme for you and sure i'm gonna you know my thoughts on it might be disorganized and messy but i'm gonna let you maybe have your interpretation of you know what do you think about like the title of the movie prisoners um, I have quite a few thoughts, I think. Um, so there's the many literal prisoners, which are yes. the <laughs> two girls and also, um, Alex Jones, who gets captured and literally imprisoned in this like wooden box at a portion of the film. Um, but then there's also, uh, I guess mentally imprisoned people, yeah. um, such as, uh, Keller is imprisoned uh, trying to find these girls. I mean, d both of the fathers, both of the families are in a, a type of mental prison, I feel like, where either they need to find these girls or they've gone into a deep depression. Um, and then Loki, uh, he feels like he's somewhat imprisoned by his job, which is to also find these girls and figure out this mystery and he has to leave uh, as we were talking about, I guess this maze um, of, of mysteries that he, he has to solve. So I think it's a very fitting title that takes a while to catch on to what the meaning is um, and how you want to interpret it. So it's very open to the audience to interpret. Uh, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think you covered a lot of what I was thinking too. And I, I think it is like a lot of the, other than the literal, you know, kidnapping the prisoners is, you know, them being trapped in their own mental state or their behaviors or what kind yeah. of defines them as a person, you know, that's very much Keller in that I feel like he, because of maybe his childhood with his father, he feels so trapped by this idea that he has to be the ultimate protector for his family. And whereas the children then, like I kind of mentioned before, they're kind of like, you know, especially Jones and Taylor, where they are prisoners of what happened to them, you know, the trauma in their past. Yeah. And I think Jones is, Jones is basically imprisoned by his aunt. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's kind of the big thing is like he's been with them so long and, you know, they probably made him do the maze thing too that he's just, you know, like this, you know, himself is barely there. I think, you know, there's yeah. like the hint that, you know, it's not completely gone because when he was in the RV and driving the RV, he, he went to his old home, right? He went to the place he was kidnapped. Yeah. Because that's where the RV was initially parked was where he was kidnapped as a child. And so, like, if he was driving that RV alone, I mean, he went there on his own accord. So it's like that little part of him is still there, but he's, you know, he's still prisoner, you know, like, mentally, I guess. And yeah, I think a big thing for Keller is, you know, there's the physical imprisonment of him being stuck in that hole. But I think it's like it's also very, you know mental at the same time where throughout the movie we've seen him throw away his faith we've mm-hmm. seen him dive back into alcoholism of his past and at the end you know and and he has such a need for control and keeping his family safe and he gets really put into probably the worst possible situation for him you know i it, it's almost worse than being dead where not just that he was shot in the leg, but that, you know, this, you know, Holly just told him that she's going to kill his daughter, puts him in a hole that's completely dark where he has no control yeah, and can't get out. And it's like, he, he's now in this place where he, you know, he has nothing, you know, he can't possibly protect his daughter, which like was his whole reason that his whole drive throughout the movie. And I think it's a huge turning point for him because you know when he finds that whistle that connection to his daughter it's his faith kind of coming back to him there at the end where you know he regains his faith and the last thing we see of him is like his last actions is saying a prayer just hoping that his daughter was safe you know it's nothing about himself finding her it's not about him getting out it's just that his daughter is safe and i think that's kind of like I feel like he's rewarded for it. I feel like that's kind of how the symbolism works out with that. Especially, I like the idea of the whistle being the thing that's lost at the beginning, and at the end, now it's a symbol of like him getting saved. You know, his little bit of survival. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think this film is very much about these small details that are in and out of the picture from the beginning to the end. So apparently um, also I did not find this out on my own. It was like a video essay, but Keller means basement or cellar in German. 
which I think is interesting. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And shoot. What was it? Oh man. <laughs> My mind is just uh trying to figure all this out. It's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. You know what? Just gonna, let's uh continue on. Maybe I'll think okay. about it. All right. Um what else have we got? I don't have too much more, I think, to We could talk about the it's probably a good time to talk about the ending. Oh, I remembered what I was gonna say. Perfect. Okay, yeah. More with Keller is at the beginning of the movie when Joy is showing Anna, like they're inside the Birch's house. Joy is showing Anna her like pet mouse, and it's like a white mouse. <laughs> right. Later in the movie, when Keller is picking up Terrence Howard to go torture Alex some more, we get a shot from the window of Joy's room and we see the mouse's cage in frame. And the mouse comes into frame and the mouse is no longer white. It's black now. Which could be a, like oh. a nice. That's wild. Visual I would never. Of like have the white that. to black. Yeah. Like I would dark, never have caught that. Light to dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, with the ending, it was kept ambiguous. I think it was a perfect ending. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think it's a great uh, cliffhanger ending that isn't really that much of a cliffhanger because yeah i mean I, I feel like we know we hear a whistle so he gets saved um but i think that it's a much better ending than i've seen so far in any of villeneuve's uh filmography because it has that ambiguity and i love an ending like that it's like inception um I I love these endings, but I I like this one especially because I feel like we know what happens. Like you're not like, oh, is he gonna be found? Because we we hear the whistle. Loki clearly hears the whistle. Um, I like it, and I I also wonder how long he's been blowing that whistle because he had been down there for so long. <laughs> yeah, you know he got drowned out by the sounds of Radiohead by the workers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think I think Loki finds him. I, I like the way it ends, but it keeps it more engaging for us in that it's ambiguous, but it also makes us like really think about the characters. Because to me, like after you know it ended, I sat down and thought, it's like, is Loki the kind of person after I feel like the last look he gives, where you know, like he's starting he does a fake, he does like a little double take, like oh, I'm not hearing a whistle. Yeah. And then he hears it, and then he has this look. It's like, all right, no, I'm hearing this. And then it kind of cuts. I feel like we know, like, Loki isn't the kind of character that just lets something go. You know, he's, like, too hard of a worker to not find him there. You know, whether he gets to the hospital in time is another question, but I really do think, like, he stays out there as late as he possibly can to find it. And I mean, like, yeah. Two is a testament to his character that he was just like shot and saved the little girl yesterday. And he's out there later than anybody else on the crime scene. Yeah. And I think there would be his character would be so much worse if we didn't have that ending either, uh, because he hasn't finished his job. I mean, he hasn't g- gone and done what he set out to do, which is basically save people. 
Um, yeah, you like he, I feel like he really wanted to make the family whole again. Yeah. And I think that, so it's, it's very crucial that you have that scene. And I think that Villeneuve made a very interesting and, in my opinion, great decision not to fully close the scene at the same time. Even though we kind of know, it's still like that that shock factor for the, the viewer. So, so um, I feel like we've covered like yeah. all the movie, but I want to know, I guess, kind of like, what are some of your favorite scenes in the movie? Because I got a few that I just like to talk about in terms of, uh, you can skip all the symbolism and all that uh, sure. dumb smarty pants talk and... <laughs> we tried <laughs> um, we did our best yeah we did our best at being smart um and yeah i guess uh i've got a couple i can think of the first scene i'm gonna skip the deer scene even though i think that's a very great scene uh to start a film uh but i really like the scene of the rv which is right after uh or is it before the deer scene? It's, I think after, it's after, and I'm glad you mentioned it because that was my first one as well. Because it is, it's beautiful visually. I think it is one of the best scenes in the film. Deacons maybe is a the god, best. like his yeah. work with like I, th- I think it's natural light. Other than you know, like the cop cars lights and stuff, it looks yeah. so amazing. So that yeah, it sets the tone right away because we see this really dirty RV driving through this cloudy weather i don't know if it's raining at the time of that scene but it's cloudy it's it's gray um and and we get these shots of just like one side of the rv from the back as we're following it down this residential road um and And you're kind of like creepy character no matter who's in it yeah yeah like we we know someone's in it because there's some shots from inside of alex looking into the mirrors but right and then uh what else after that i'm really thinking right now of the scene with alex being imprisoned and his face all bloodied and really disgusting because it is one of the most uh i'd just say disgusting scenes that kind of haunts me uh is just whatever the makeup artist did to his face um whether it was they actually beat him up or no um whatever the uh fake blood and probably prosthetics are they did amazing and i really feel for alex's character even though i'm like i kind of trust keller's character more still so that scene um the chase scene with bob taylor i would i'd say is pretty iconic as well just because it's a pretty long scene for a simple uh chase so yeah um yeah and then i think the after that i would just say the last scene with loki's face because we get the close-up of him realizing oh i hear this whistle Uh, i think that scene left me very happy with the film so do you have any any others specifically yeah um i'll try to go in order you know you mentioned the rv one the i like i do like the torture scene is specifically one that kind of like enhances the view of like the duality of like keller and franklin where it's like where franklin's wife's there nancy and alex has been like locked into the shower part of it 
where they where Keller's going to torture him with like the hot and cold water. And you know, that's like Franklin like loses it there, you know, where he's like he's like Keller, you've lost it like and he's going to let the guy go and there's this like sense of you know, Keller almost judging him that's like I'm the stronger father, like I care more about my daughter than you, which is you know, obviously bullshit just cuz he's not torturing a guy. Yeah. And like he's going to like take off the thing and like the, just that sense of peer pressure as his wife clearly doesn't want to be involved with it, but is also like, I don't want you to free him just because there's the slight chance it could find her daughters. And I just love the scene where like Franklin, you know, is kind of his morals are just shattering around him and he doesn't know what to do. And like, how do you make that choice to let him go when it's like you're going to disappoint another father with a missing daughter? You're going to disappoint your wife? And I love that scene. Um, after that, I love the vigil. That's another part with like deacons and lighting. Yeah. Before yeah, the Taylor chasing. It's just a beautiful scene. He like mm-hmm. he works so well in the dark, which is, you know, rare, I feel, for filmmakers or cinematographers. Um, I love when Loki confronts Bob when he like knocks on his door and he has that go- like Jake has that goofy smile on his face and he's like, "Why'd you run from me, man?" And you know, yeah. they have like the it's like a very tense conversation where they both know where it's going, but they're trying to stall and there's that silence and like Jake just busts in like slams his bob's head against the door and just like also the first time watching that scene when he starts taking out the snakes was like i was like what is going on yeah and yeah i feel like that's a pretty important scene as well um so yeah and in the interrogation scene is great that's another really intense one the bob taylor interrogation. When, yeah, when bob you know shoots himself yeah and what else do we have? One thing that I thought was really funny was when Hugh Jackman is at gunpoint with Holly and he's like it's kind of like that like that meme is like what are you going to do shoot me man who gets shot and this like, <laughs> Yeah. I thought that was funny. He's like this woman is killed. How many children do you think she won't shoot you? Yeah, he he like walks in there basically knowing what's going to happen and kind of just lets it happen to him. I'm surprised uh, so. he never used like Alex's a negotiating tool. You know, instead of going in yeah. the hole, why didn't he be like, I'll give you Alex back if you give me my daughter back? Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I was wondering that too. I think the, and then maybe my favorite scene is the climax of him rushing to the hospital. I feel oh, like that yeah. was so expertly done and it was so tense. Just him weaving, yeah, him weaving through traffic, like the increasing blurriness. And once again, it's raining. It's at night where apparently Deacon's works best. And it, it's just, I don't know. It's like, there's few, I feel like kind of car scenes, you wouldn't call it like a chase scene, but scenes like that, I feel like that are that tense you know, as he's racing to the hospital. Yeah, and it really think, sets up kind of like such a good ending with that. And the, the rain on the windshields in this film is like clear rain. It's it's almost like I haven't seen this really in a film. 
like it's so defined that it like feels like rain it, it does yeah it doesn't feel like a set where they splashed water on it it, it like really yeah. feels like it feels they like a nice day. seattle day. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um can we talk about also during this scene it gets me every time no one moves out of the way he has the lights on his car do you just like, uh, no i don't think he doesn't have a siren though still you need like, a siren I feel like at night people should be able to notice like you know this the lights of the cop car blaring behind him i was just amazed yeah. that no one moved to the, like the right to let him pass he had to like weave in and out of everybody and like people are honking and breaking like oh can't believe this cop just did that that's clearly yeah. an emergency yeah yeah it's a pretty intense scene that probably could have been better if he had a siren or if people paid attention but uh <laughs> yeah He's like, and like the way, like when he gets to the hospital and he like slips because it's like kind of like snowing too. And he like slips out of the car. She's like, yeah. I don't know, it just adds to like how frantic it is. Yeah. Definitely. Um, You got anything else? You know, I don't think so. I'm looking through my two pages of notes here and. We covered a lot. I yeah, think man. we did pretty well. <laughs> I do too. Um, Almost professionals. I think that if if you want to hear more, uh, there's a lot of further reading on this film. You can read everything about Loki, uh, the god. <laughs> uh, you can read a lot about Jesus, I guess, as well. Um, what would you rate this film? It, it's a five out of five for me. It's... Five out of five. I love it. It's probably my favorite film of 2013. Okay. I don't know. I just like, there's so much. I mean, obviously, like, I ranted about this movie for an hour and 20 minutes. But it's just, the mystery is good. There's depth. The acting is incredible. It looks good. I just, I don't know. I don't have a flaw with it other than, you know, at first it's kind of hard to follow. But, you know, like, get over it watch it more than once that's what it's made for yeah um i would give this film a four and a half and what i what i'm gonna say here is before we talked about this film i think this was my second favorite villeneuve film that i've seen so far yeah um or rewatched so far because i thought on sunday was better after talking about this I think that I would rate this above on Sunday because I think there is much more work put into the, the meaning of this film and there's much more to unfold with this film, I uh, but I would still rate both of them a four and a half. This one is slightly better and leans toward my taste a little more, uh, when it comes to the plot. So yeah. Um, and 2013 was a, a yeah. Do we want to do a little, a little 2013 talk here for a second before I was we, looking we to, like, to confirm it to be my favorite and you know it has it's to a, compete with 12 years of slave that's another five out uh, of five her I gave a five uh, out of five Locke if you've seen that Tom Hardy movie I've seen Locke yeah it's, that's a good film. that's an underrated movie everybody watch Locke yeah you should watch Locke it is there's a lot behind it it's a somewhat like simple telling of a story but it's done in a mm-hmm amazing way you'll never watch so, another movie like it I that's think. true yeah wolf of wall street gravity 
Damn. And another Denis so film. Piercing. He's, you know, he's. Yeah, I've got um, the Kings. So I have a couple of, of more indie films as well. I have the Kings of Summer uh, with a four and a half. I have Short Term 12 is one of my favorite films uh, probably of all time. Um, that one I have a five star. So that was my favorite of the year. But Prisoners is right right behind with Snowpiercer, Wolf of Wall Street, and the Kings of Summer. Do you have a worst film that year? Or no, a I'm trying to films? confirm that, but it, it seems like Letterboxd is kind of shitting the bed. Oh. Um, I noticed I do have a couple bad, like low-rated films here. Uh, I'm going to start one that's not controversial. The Great Gatsby sucks. The That's the Boz Lerman one? Yeah, the Leo one. Um, I don't... I don't know how I feel about that. We might have to talk about that at some point. Um, I don't want to get too far into it right now, but I had to watch that and analyze it for a college class, and I grew a greater appreciation for that film. So we could talk about it sometime. Spending more time with it. Yeah. Um, The controversial one, so I gave Greg Gatsby one and a half stars. Controversial one, Frozen. I gave that one and a half stars. I hate Frozen. Frozen, I I have middle ground on. I gave it a three, so I'm okay with it, but... It's for children. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a very beloved film by many, but uh, yeah, it struck all the wrong chords for me. Also, it wouldn't. I can't go. I can't leave this episode without trashing some Marvel movies. Thor: The Dark World. I hate. I despise that movie. Okay. Thor: well, Ragnarok is you know, like the greatest Thor, like greatest movie turnaround of like all time between. The Dark World being like a one and a half to Thor Ragnarok being yeah excellent. Ragnarok is great. Um, we definitely got a Loki connection in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I've um, got um, a Good Day to Die Hard was a very terrible movie. I don't think you've have you seen it. No, I have not. The newest Die Hard film. Okay, well, I recommend not watching it. <laughs> there's there's no point. Um, and. I've got the bling ring as well, which I really didn't like. That's my least favorite Coppola, Sofia Coppola film. Oh. Um, but some people love it, so maybe I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I think that's all I've got. Maniac was that year. It was so bad that I didn't watch the second one. I have seen both of them, and I remember very little of them, and I don't know if I'm ready to talk about them at all. <laughs> no, that's not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... But, uh, before we call it quits, yeah, I'm gonna ask you: Do you have a favorite like mystery movie? Um, so I've watched quite a few lately. Oh, and okay. I I have kind of a I think maybe a Rushmore of of these films. I would oh. say this is one of them. I would say Gone Girl is another one. Okay, Zodiac yep. is another one. I highly recommend. In, in terms of, I want to say two TV shows as well. Uh, I recommend True Detective, which I brought up earlier in the episode. And I also want to recommend Mindhunter, which is an amazing TV show that has kind of flown under the radar a bit, I feel like. But I think that if you watch, there's two seasons, I believe, and there might be a third at some point. We'll see. But I highly recommend those two seasons. What about you? Yeah, I mean, my own Rushmore, I think, uh, you know, Prisoners, I think, would be on it at this point. Um, one that is, you know, might be 
my favorite. Maybe maybe it's less than Prisoners now, but Mystic River. I haven't like, seen that, but I've heard good things. That is maybe Clint Eastwood's best movie. I think Unforgiven's probably better. It's been a while since I've seen Unforgiven. But I think, you know, I think Mystic River's a perfect movie as well. Also, incredible acting. Maybe even better than Prisoners. Um, I'll have to check it out for sure. Tim Robbins is. I love Tim Robbins. Love me some Tim Robbins. Mystic River is funny because, like, everybody in that movie got nominated for an Oscar except Kevin Bacon. <laughs> which always makes me laugh. That's so sad. Um, and then Zodiac for sure. Can we count Silence of the Lambs as a mystery? Yeah, I would count it. I haven't yeah. seen it in a very, very, very long time, I so I remember Silence very of the Lambs little. There. So, like, for me, yeah, Prisoners, Mystic River, Zodiac, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Well. That's it? That's what I you got? So. Yeah, I think that's all I got off the top of my head here. I, I came up with the question maybe like two minutes ago, so. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're good picks, for sure. Um, I'll have to check out Mystic River. Um, I think that's it. Do you have any, any other questions, concerns? No, man. I, I you know, feel like we did a good job here. I feel satisfied. I... All right. Um, so thank you for joining me again, Stephen. Of course. Um, the next episode of the podcast is going to be about Enemy, which was also, uh, actually, I believe it was released in the U.S. in 2014, slightly after Prisoners, but it was filmed around the same time, so I'm going to count it as 2013. Um, That's what IMDb So yeah, 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 I see differing sites uh, say differing things. So we're counting it as 2013. However, we are counting it after Prisoners. So that will be the next episode. Um, I'm not sure if Steven's going to join us, maybe. Uh, but yeah. he'll, if not, will. you will? Okay, will. sweet. So we're planning to release that next week. Um, and I hope you all have a good weekend. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks again, Steven. And see you next time. Peace.